0: right. <laughs> oh, that's great! Thank you so much for having me. Um, I am just honored to be here, and Jason is absolutely right. Um, I don't know if you've ever been on a group trip. You learn a lot about people when you spend 10 days in a foreign country together. Um, and what we learned about, um, um, do we call you Jason or Pastor Jason or Bishop? <laughs> about your pastor and his amazing wife um, is that they love their kids so I've like heard everything about you guys and I can't wait to hear you one of you plays right plays yes can't wait to hear it maybe I won't hear it Um, and they really love God Um, we had several moments of worship and we were just so blessed by your love for God and your love for people and the way you wrestle with things with this amazing congregation it is an honor for me to be here um, I'm especially delighted that um, Mary doesn't mind breaking the law at the Western Wall because we got the best picture ever and we weren't supposed to take <laughs> pictures. But you know, God is good. So there's that. Um, it is so great to be back in Cadenceville. Woohoo, Cadenceville! No, no excitement? <laughs> man I told my husband I was like we've got to go to rolling road and we've got to go check out all the places where you know we we grew up it's just such an honor to be back in a place where you grew up I'm in Charlotte and no one lives in Charlotte that was from Charlotte everyone leaves so it's great to be back Um, thank God for this great congregation you all have ministered to me today Um, and I'm really grateful because I have, like, the hardest text in the world to preach. Thanks for that. Um, In 1 Corinthians 2, I was all, you know, excited about bringing my best sermon. You know, when you go preach someplace else, you bring, like, your best sermon, and then Jason says, oh, by the way, we're going through 1 Corinthians 2. So I've been meditating on it for three weeks and pray that God would enlighten all of us with what he has to say today. So I'm going to turn to that now. This is 1 Corinthians Chapter 2, and we're going to read together uh, verses 6 through 16. And while you're turning there, I thank God for my amazing husband. Um, I'm grateful for prayers for marriage. Marriage is not easy. Um, And I just thank God for um, who Mark is to me and how he ministers to me. Thank you, sweetheart. And for our amazing girls that keep us on our knees. We have a one-year-old and a three-year-old, so we're really tired. And that's why I was late today, because we didn't have them with us, and I didn't have to wake up to my children's alarm at 6 a.m., so I'm, I'm very, very grateful. All right. This is First Corinthians. Let me find it on my iPad here. Okay. I'm going to read the New International Version, 1 Corinthians 2, 6 through 16. We do, however, speak a message of wisdom among the mature, but not the wisdom of this age or of the rulers of this age who are coming to nothing. No, we declare God's wisdom a mystery that has been hidden and that God destined for our glory before time began. None of the rulers of this age understood it, for if they had, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. However, as it is written, what no eye has seen, what no ear has heard, and what no human mind has conceived, the things God has prepared for those who love him, these are the things... have the mind of Christ. This morning, I just want to offer for our thoughts today a sermon called Wisdom Revealed. Let's pray. Thank you, God. Thank you for appointing a specific day called today and a specific time called right now when we can encounter you through your word. So we pray that you would open your word to all of us today that you would allow us to take a peek into the mysteries of God. And Lord, when you do, we pray that you would allow us to leave changed and inspired and revived and ready to remind the world that God is real, that Jesus is good, and that your Holy Spirit dwells within us. Thank you for this time, and thank you for what you will do. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 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 Around 10 years ago on this exact week, I was riding in a car in Cape Town, South Africa. Um, I was serving a church there for the summer um, as part of my seminary program, and I was with Pastor Kosi riding in the car. Um, Everywhere I looked, there was something new to take in, and I'm not sure if any of you have had the privilege of going to South Africa, but it is absolutely beautiful. There are mountains and beaches and animals and flowers and colors and sights. It was, it was one of the most majestic um, sceneries that I have ever seen in my whole life, second to Israel, I think. Um, and so while riding in this car, I had my hands glued to the window like a toddler. I was calling out everything and asking 101 questions. What animal is that? I would ask as something bound across the landscape. What are the scars on the face? I would always ask when I saw the tribal markings on some of the men's faces. Who's singing this song? I would holler out and ask when we were riding in the car listening to the radio. I would interject all of these questions and Pastor Kosi was so gracious in answering some of them. But on this particular day, I can remember going through all of my series of questions. I can feel it like it was right now. And I remember Pastor Kosi turning to me and saying, you Americans, You Americans want to know a little about everything. We South Africans prefer to know a lot about a little. In other words, stop asking so many questions. It was at that moment, in retrospect, that I realized, he's right. I have taken on a Western understanding that I can and should know everything about everything. We are in a time where... Truth and answers are readily available. We can pull up a phone or a tablet and look up anything in the world. Um, With the advent of Google, there is no question too absurd for the internet. There is no area of research that is outside of our reach. There's no such thing as I don't know anymore because everything can be found and everyone's truth can be shared. And one of the reasons why this truth is so accessible is because we live in a pluralistic society and everyone has their own truth. In this, uh, his book, The Rise of the Nuns, Understanding and Reaching the Religiously Unaffiliated, James Emory White suggests that plurali- pluralism has led to the equalizing of all ideas. Uh, he calls it the democratization of truth. I love that phrase, the democratization of truth. In other words, there's no absolute truth, and all truth is relative, and oh, by the way, everyone's truth is equal. He describes terms like truthiness, which means that you're no longer bound to creating truth based on facts. You can actually create truth that has nothing to do with the facts. It, it came to my mind as I was watching one of my favorite reality shows about plastic surgery. And this guy came in, and he said, I'm an alien and I want plastic surgery to look more like an alien. And he brought a friend along with him to verify that fact that he was indeed from another planet. That was his truth. And the surgeons went along with it. I think of of some other terms that um, James Emery White used. He used this term called wikiality to describe the phenomenon that reality can be determined by majority vote. All of us can decide right now that we're sitting on clouds, if we all agree to it. According to Wikipedia, you can create whatever truth you want. And as a result, Pluto is no longer a planet because a bunch of scientists said that that's not anymore. Sorry to ruin that for you guys. <laughs> and according to Wikipedia, there are actually celebrity deaths, even though those celebrities are still living. He, he also talked about this term, mistakers as our way of describing what was formerly known as a sinner. When truth is relative, there is no such thing as sin. It's just a mistake, and even our worst issues are simply traces of our true and authentic selves. This is the wisdom of the world. This is the wisdom that thrives on ego and manipulation and pride. It's the world's wisdom that was established uh, on the self and it's established on anything that looks and feels like good stuff to us. And that's a dangerous place to be when your whole life and your truth and your reality is based on what feels good and works well for you. When everyone owns their own truth, then God seems like an unnecessary middleman. Why ask God for an answer and wait How knows, who knows how long when I can find it in an instant? Why follow God when I can create my own destiny? Why look for God's wisdom when I can be wise all by myself? This is the wisdom of the world, but it leaves out one critical fact. It's not really wisdom at all. It's foolishness, empty promises, and vain pursuits. The wisdom of the world is never enough. It always leaves you wanting for more. It is never enough to make you whole. Sure, you can chase after ambitions, but you'll never find true fulfillment. Sure, you can pursue earthly pleasures, but you may never be satisfied. Sure, you can make tons of money, but you might still feel empty. And sure, you can have lots of friends and still feel lonely. You can do all that the world says you should do and still end up frustrated and isolated and rejected and depressed and broken. No matter how hard you try, the world's wisdom will always leave you wanting for more. And the problem is that some of us, even as believers, fall prey to the world's wisdom at times, don't we? We find ourselves caught up in the ways of the world and trying to figure it out and think like the world thinks. That's why some of us are crazy, because we're trying to think like the world thinks, but God never intended us to think this way. We can fall prey to the world's temptations so easily. And when we live as the world lives, when we abide by the world's wisdom, we live beneath the glorious calling of God on our lives. Because of the wisdom of the world, it's designed to lead us to death. But it's only God's wisdom, only God's truth that is designed to lead us to life. And John says life more abundantly. God's wisdom is true wisdom. It may seem like foolishness to the world, but the wisdom of God is the only truth that gives us life and breath. God's wisdom fills us with unconditional love and joy. It brings us peace and goodness and gentleness and blessings and favor and joy. Of course, it's not always easy, but God's wisdom is always good. Yes, it's not always popular, but God's wisdom is always right. And no matter how many times Wikipedia changes the facts, God's wisdom never changes. It will stand the test of time. God is always true and always righteous and always good and always loving. God is alpha and omega. He's the beginning and the end. And when the foolishness of the world fades away, God and God's wisdom will remain forever. So how can we be in this crazy, foolish world and not live by its wisdom. How can believers stand firm in the wisdom of God without succumbing to the foolishness of the world? Well, Paul's answer in our text this morning is simple by the power of the Holy Spirit. Can somebody say, Holy Spirit? Holy Spirit. By the power of the Holy Spirit. Um, we can stand in the wisdom of God because we have the Holy Spirit. And the first thing that Paul tells us is the Holy Spirit reveals the plan of God. Paul begins this portion of the text saying that he's not speaking about the wisdom of the world. He's not using fancy language from kings or, or worldly prophets. Now, in verse 7 and 8, he says, No, we declare God's wisdom, a mystery that has been hidden and that God has destined for our glory before time began. None of the rulers of this age understood it, for if they had, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. In other words, Paul was saying that the Holy Spirit reveals God's plan, and his plan is for our redemption and his glory. This is how God works. The wisdom of God is so great that he was working out his plan even before we were born. The wisdom of God is so good that he knew us and knew our need for redemption even as he was forming the heavens and the earth. As God was creating the sun and the moon, as created the birds and the insects, God was already in his wisdom thinking about our plan, the plan for our redemption. As God formed all of the animals, including the serpent, God already knew what would happen as the serpent would talk to Adam and Eve. As God was forming and shaping all of the world, as God was working out his plan in the Garden of Eden, he had already known that the Israelites would need to be delivered through the Red Sea and later the Jordan. As God was working out his plan in Abram and later Abraham, he was already working out his plan in David. As he was working out his plan in David, he was already working out his plan in Jesus. And the culmination of the redemptive plan of God comes to a head in Jesus Christ. God knew we would need redemption. And he knew it so much that he sent Jesus as the fulfillment of that plan. Jesus then becomes the key to God's redemption for the whole earth. And if the people of his time knew it, they wouldn't have crucified him. If they knew that it was God's plan to redeem the earth, maybe they wouldn't have taken those steps. But God reveals this wisdom to us. God reveals this plan of redemption to us. And by the power of the Holy Spirit, we don't have to guess at God's plan. We don't have to try and figure out what God is doing. We know that God's plan is to redeem us, to buy us back, to take us into himself. Why? So that he can get glory from our lives. Isn't that good news? God's plan for us is to redeem us so that he can get glory from our lives. While I was on vacation this past week, we had a chance to go with Mark's family away uh, uh, to Jamaica, and I still need a vacation from the vacation. Family vacation should never be called vacation. It's just called a trip. So we were on a family trip, and my three-year-old asked every single day, Mommy, What are we doing today? And I would give her a view of the day. We're going to go have some fun. And we would go to breakfast and we would finish breakfast. And she'd say, what are we doing now? Where are we going now? And sometimes I would try and anticipate what we were doing. But then it dawned on me. I don't have to know. We're on our trip. And we can go with the flow Everything that I was trying to tell her, I was trying to show her you can relax and you can have a good time, but it seemed like every moment she wanted to know what's coming next and where are we gonna go and who's that and what's going on? By about Wednesday of our trip, I said, Addison, the only thing that matters today is we will be back in this room at noon for a nap and then we'll be back here at 8 p.m. for bedtime. Everything else, you're gonna hang out with me. And then by Thursday of last week, she said, Mommy, Are we hanging out today? And I realized she finally got it. You see, I think God does that with us sometimes. We go to God like toddlers. God, what's going to happen next? God, what am I supposed to do next? God, what is this going to look like next? Where should I go next? And I feel like God sometimes says, you know, child, don't worry. I just know that I'm coming back for you again. I'm going to come and redeem you to myself. And for the rest of it, we're just going to hang out. We're going to spend some time together. And sometimes God wants the great satisfaction of knowing that we're okay with that plan. As long as I know that he's coming back for me again, as long as I know that he's working things out, I need to rest in knowing that I'm with him and he's with me and everything else is gonna be okay. This is why the scripture tells us all things work together for our good, for the good of those who are called of the Lord. Because as long as we're with him, and as long as he's with us, as long as we know he's coming for us again, then all the other details are not nearly as significant as we think they are. We have God's wisdom, and God's wisdom is given to us by the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit reveals the details, not the details, the overview of God's plan. But secondly, I believe that Paul says the Holy Spirit reveals God's heart. We can stand in God's wisdom because the Holy Spirit reveals God's heart. Verse 11, it says, For who knows a person's thoughts except their own spirit within them? In the same way, no one knows the thoughts of God except the Spirit of God. You see here, Paul is giving us a sneak peek into the intimacy of the Trinity. God the Father, God the Son, God the Spirit, all dwelling as one, all together. And they're always one all the time. But the mystery of God, the wisdom of God, is that he invites us in. He lets us become part of this grand intimacy. God doesn't need us. We know that he's God. He's God all by himself, but he decided to create us so that we might share in this blessed intimate reunion with him. This is the heart of God, that he loves us so much that he calls us and invites us in all the time. When I was in seminary, I would um, hang out graciously with my friend and her then fiancé. This is before I met my amazing husband. And so I would always be the third wheel. And at first I felt uncomfortable, and then actually I was grateful because they loved me enough to invite me to come along. And So we would all do uh, movies together. We'd all do dinners together. I joked with them at their wedding. I was like, yeah, I feel like we all got married today. (laughs) I'd been so much with them, and they had invited me in that I felt like I was part of this amazing relationship. God does that with us. He allows us to come in as a fourth, fifth, sixth wheel. He allows us to come in and to partake of his goodness and his glory, and the best part is God says the same relationship that I have with my son, I want to have that with you. The same intimacy I have with the spirit, I want to have that with you. And God allows us to come in and to know his heart, to know that his love for us is so great that he would even die for us. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. God reveals his wisdom in revealing his heart for us. And so when we're tempted to give in to the wisdom of the world, we can remember that we can stand on the wisdom of God because the Holy Spirit has revealed God's plan, the Holy Spirit has revealed God's heart, and I believe the last thing of the scripture is that the Holy Spirit reveals the mind of Christ. The Holy Spirit reveals the mind of Christ. Paul ends this chapter of this letter by telling the church at Corinth that they had a very special gift. Because of the Holy Spirit, they had the mind of Christ. Now, this was an important statement because it underscores this divine um, transformation that takes place at the point of salvation. It, it's almost like um, we, we get this divine blood transfusion when we accept Christ, right? Because the blood of Jesus is poured over our lives. But we also get this kind of like spiritual lobotomy. <laughs> this, is, this is a spiritual mind exchange. It's like God says, I know how bad your thoughts really are. I mean, this is a place where we can be honest, right? God knows the kinds of things that come into our minds. God knows the kinds of thoughts that we don't just allow to fly by, but the thoughts that we allow to nest in our minds. The things that we meditate on. You know, God calls us to meditate on scripture, but we find ourselves meditating on problems. You know what meditation is? To meditate comes from the word to masticate, which means to chew on, to chew on like tobacco, to let the juices just kind of go on and seep in and just keep chewing on it over and over. While we're called to, to chew on the word of God, sometimes we find ourselves chewing on our problems. I can't speak for you. I'll speak for me. Sometimes I find myself coming into a stressful time and I'll chew on it all day long, sometimes for a week. Oh, I can't believe she said that. Oh, I'm so mad at that. Oh, I can, how, what, what would make her say that? Oh, I'm going to talk to her about it. No, I know what I'm going to do. <laughs> you know, and we, we find ourselves thinking over and over about the problems and the stress and the issues, but God knows us so well. He knows us so well that he says to us, I'm not just going to give you your mind upgraded. I'm not going to give you your mind version 2.0. I'm going to give you a new mind. I'm going to give you the mind of Jesus Christ. This becomes the underscore of the transformation that takes place for every person who trusts in the name of the Lord. It is a taking on of the mind of Christ. It is the ability to regularly discipline ourselves, again, to discipline ourselves, to think godly thoughts, and to set our minds on him. And I know what you're thinking. How in the world is it possible for me to have the mind of Christ all the time? Well, with the power of the Holy Spirit, all we have to do is ask. We don't have to do this work by ourselves. This is not up to us to develop a new mind. This is a work of the Spirit. And all we have to do is ask. God, I need your thoughts. I need your wisdom. I need you to help me have your mind. And so as we go through all of the things and challenges of the world, we can be reminded that we have the mind of Christ. This is why Paul tells us in Romans 12 that we should be transformed by the renewing of our mind. This is a daily moment-by-moment discipline. It is the reality that I have what God has given me, and now I must walk in it. And when the thoughts come, my aunt said, every thought is like a bird, but it doesn't have to have a nest. When the bird flies by, we can shoo it on away. When the thought comes by, we don't have to make a home for it. Why? Because we have the mind of Christ, who humbled himself, even to the point of suffering and dying on the cross, who loved us so much, that he thought it not robbery to be like us. We have the mind of Christ, who came not as the the high king, but who came as a lowly servant, We have this mind, this mind who said, I love you so much that I will give my life for you. And in so doing, we can give our lives back to God. So today, I want to encourage you to take on the wisdom of God. Trust in the Lord. Lean not on your own understanding. Acknowledge him in all of your ways. And I'm a witness. May not be perfect, but God will direct you our paths. Amen.